You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Aren't you so thankful for the love of God? And uh, you know what's amazing about the love of God is it is everlasting and uh, it never changes. Uh, God does not love you less today than he did yesterday. And you say, well, I, I've let the Lord down. Yeah, me too. But aren't you glad his love never changes? Hallelujah. And I'm glad he loves me. And uh, I hope you never forget that. Genesis 49 is a passage of scripture where Jacob is ready to die. He knows his time has come. And so he calls his sons in. And he gives his sons his last words. Now, these words were prophetic words. It's amazing. Some of the things he says, he had no way of knowing, but God showed him and God told him uh, the outcomes and some of the things that would happen with his sons. But Jacob is the also known as Israel. Another name for Jacob is Israel. But Jacob is the son of Isaac the grandson of Abraham, and from that line, from that lineage, there would come the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God. And so Jacob calls his 12 sons together, and he has a, a final meeting. And in that meeting, he tells his sons uh, some things they can expect, and he uh, acknowledges some of their accomplishments. But here's what's a little awkward and maybe a little uncomfortable, is that some of the things that Jacob said were not positive at all. As a matter of fact, as he's talking to all of his sons, he points out some things in the boys that were not good and were not commendable. As I was studying this week and as I was preparing for this, I was amazed to see some similarities in this meeting and what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is an event that will take place in, in the future. It'll take place after the rapture, of course. But the judgment seat is when all of God's children, all the saved people, will stand before God. And we will give an account. Now, you say, oh, I'm so scared of the judgment seat of Christ. Well, the good news is, if you're at the judgment seat of Christ, it means you're saved. Aren't you glad for that? You don't have to stand before the judgment seat and say, I hope I did enough good. I hope I did enough good. I hope I didn't do too much bad. Are you kidding me? If it were up to you or up to me, we would be on our way to hell with no hope or no chance. But because of Jesus and because of his sacrifice, because of the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin, we can be saved. We can be born again. Our name is written in heaven, not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ and his mercy. So if you're at the judgment seat, you can say, hallelujah, glory to the lamb, I'm saved. But at the judgment seat, all of God's children will be there. And at the judgment seat, there will be some things that we're glad about, but there will also be some things that we're not so glad about. You see, at the judgment seat of Christ, I almost, almost went to the judgment seat a little sooner there, lost my footing. At the judgment seat of Christ, there will be rewards, but there will also be a loss of rewards. You see, at the judgment seat, God's not just going to judge what we did, not just our actions, 
but God's going to judge our motives. Now, you may feel like, hey, I'm doing good today. I made it to church. And you may pat yourself on the back. And I commend you. You're in church. I commend you that you're watching the service this morning online. Or I commend you that you're listening to the service. And that's wonderful. But God's going to judge more than just our actions. God is going to judge our motives. God's going to judge not just what we did, but why we did it. I'll tell you, I came to church this morning. You say, why'd you come? Well, I am the pastor. I kind of needed to be here. But I also came this morning because I love the Lord. I wanted to please him this morning. I knew God was pleased by me being in church today. I know God has been pleased by us singing and worshiping. And I know God has been pleased by us encouraging and exhorting one another. But can I tell you, all those motives will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And you and I, we can fool a lot of people. You might have your family fooled. That's hard to do, but you may have your family fooled. You may have your coworkers fooled. You may have your neighbors fooled. You may have your pastor fooled. But I'll tell you this, when we stand before God, you ain't going to pull the wool over his eyes. You're not going to deceive God. You're not going to trick him. At the judgment seat of Christ, it will all be revealed and our works will be tried with fire. The Bible says to reveal what sort or what quality our works were. Some will be gold, silver, precious stone, and those will come through the fire and they'll be purified and others will be wood, hay, and stubble and those will be burned up. You say, well, what happens if your, your works are burned up, the wood, hay, stubble? Well, you're still saved, hallelujah. You're still in heaven, hallelujah. You still have eternal life, praise the Lord. But there will be, I believe, there'll be some regrets. I believe we'll wish that we had done more to serve God. I don't think anybody's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, you know what? I blew it. I went to church way too much. I read my Bible so much. Oh, I, I just, I can't believe I wasted all that time. I can't believe I prayed so much. Oh, I could have been doing other important stuff. I could have been, I could have been watching the news and getting mad and throwing things, you know, and here I was wasting my time praying. Oh no, there's not going to be any regrets for things you did for God but I think there will be some regrets for things we didn't do for the Lord that we could have done and should have done. And so I see this, this gathering here, this meeting of Jacob and his sons. He speaks to the sons and they're all there. They all get to hear what Jacob says about each other. Notice with me, verse two, gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel, your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn my might and the beginning of my strength and the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Lord, would you speak to us as we look at your word? Lord, I do my best on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. I do my best to preach. Uh, Wednesday nights is more teaching. But Lord, this morning, I think it's going to be more teaching. I think there's more instruction this morning. And I really want our folks to see these truths and these, these verses. And I pray that you'd help me to present it in such a way that it would be helpful, 
But I pray that it would speak to us. I pray that it would help us. I pray that it would change us and cause us to be what we ought to be for you. Lord, help us to learn from the example of these sons of Jacob. And Lord, may we learn and follow in the paths that are good, but may we avoid and, and stay away from the paths that are evil. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see uh, the first son that we're going to look at here of Jacob is the firstborn. His name is Reuben. Now, Reuben was the firstborn, and uh, you, you, know, you know, I don't mean to bore you with it again, but you know I've talked to you before about the firstborn. Uh, I am a firstborn. My wife is uh, the firstborn. We're each the oldest of seven. How many in the room are the firstborn in your family? Let me see. I want to know who we're talking to and who we're dealing with. Okay, that's a lot. Boy, a lot. That's amazing. I was going to say pretty much all the smart ones, but I don't want to offend the rest of you because I'm going to do that anyway. But the firstborn, you know how it is being the firstborn. You know, you understand. I've told you. Uh, you get blamed for everything. It's always your fault. You understand how that works with the, with the younger children. Absolutely. But I will say, if you're the firstborn, you do have some privileges. There are some blessings to being the firstborn. One is, there are more baby pictures of you. If you're the firstborn, there are more baby pictures in existence of you than all the rest of the children combined, in most cases. You actually, you probably even have a baby book that your parents put together, or a scrapbook or something. And by the time it gets to the, the younger ones, it's like, we don't even care about them, right? No, 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 we do. We care about them. I'm teasing. But the firstborn, especially in Bible times, the firstborn had some great privileges. The firstborn, for instance, was given the double portion. The firstborn was passed on, not just what the other kids got, but the firstborn was usually given double. In this case, Jacob has Reuben that he's talking to first, and he says, you're the firstborn. He said, you should have had might, strength, dignity, and power. He said, you should have had all that. As the firstborn, you should have been the example. As the firstborn, you should have been the leader. As the firstborn, you should have showed your brothers what was right and how to live and how to follow God. He said, but you blew it. You wasted your potential. Reuben should have been the religious leader in the family, but he wasn't. That went to Levi. Levi and his descendants became the priests and those that served in the work of God. Reuben should have been uh, the authority. He should have been the one that was the leader, but he wasn't. That was Judah and his family. Judah, and from Judah came the line of the kings. Reuben should have had the double portion, but that didn't go to Reuben. Remember we talked about last week? That went to Joseph and Joseph's sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so Jacob tells uh, Reuben, he says, hey, Reuben, you should have had the strength. You should have had the dignity. You should have had the power. You should have had all that. But instead, he said, you are unstable as water. Now, you say, how unstable is that? Well, try carrying a pan, a long pan filled with water. Try carrying that across the room and see how far you make it. That's flopping all over the place. And by the time you get to where you're going, there's more water on the floor than there is in that pan. Water is so unstable. It's not secure. It's not solid. It's not grounded. And Jacob says, Reuben, that is your life. 
You should have been the leader. You should have been the example. You had so much potential, but you wasted it all. You say, whoa, I bet the other brothers were getting nervous. Wow, this is the firstborn. This is the first one on the list, and he is getting blasted. He is getting hammered. You say, oh, I bet Jacob didn't like him. He just probably wasn't the favorite. He probably just wasn't, you know, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't like, you know, really doing things that his dad liked and his dad probably got real petty with him. No, not at all. Turn back with me, if you would, to Genesis 35. I want you to see why Reuben lost out on the blessing and why Reuben missed out on so many things he could have had. It says in Genesis 35, verse number 22, again, this is 40 years earlier. 40 years ago, and the Bible does not expound upon it. It's almost like it's mentioned and it just, things go on. But Jacob mentions this in his final words. He said, Genesis 35, 22, here's what the Bible says about Reuben. And it came to pass when Israel, that's uh, Jacob, dwelt in the land that Reuben, that's the firstborn, that's the guy we're talking about, that he went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. He was immoral with one of his father's wives. And the Bible says, and Israel heard it. Then we get to Genesis 49 and verse number four. And Jacob says, the reason that you will not excel, the reason that you will not reach your potential is because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. He was immoral. He was vile. He was wicked. And because of his sin, Reuben missed out on all of the blessings that could have been and should have been his. You say, well, pastor, hang on. I remember, and I hope you remember this. It's been a while. I think it was back in uh, February or March. Remember when we talked about Judah? Judah was immoral. Judah was wicked. Judah was way out of bounds. But you know what happened after Judah sinned? Judah got right. Judah humbled himself. Judah confessed it. Judah said, I, I've messed up. I've blown it. I, I, I've messed things up. And can I tell you, I got great news for you. Our God is a God of mercy. Our God is a God of forgiveness. Our God is a God of grace. And you say, oh, no, pastor, you're talking to me. I've got sin in my life, and oh, my life is over, and oh, my life is wasted, and oh, there's nothing. There's no hope for me. Wrong, wrong, wrong. There is hope for you because God forgives and God cleanses. You don't believe that? Look at the life of David. David sinned with Bathsheba. He committed adultery. Then David had Uriah killed, and then David tried to cover it all up, and God gave us Psalm 51 so we could see the heart of David, and we could see that David came to a point where he confessed his sin, where he got his sin right with God. He said, God created me a clean heart. Restore a right spirit in me. Oh, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And the Bible gives us no record. The Bible gives us no account that Reuben ever confessed his sin. It's almost like he just thought, oh, well, life goes on. Oh, well, 
It was 40 years ago, no consequences. I didn't get in trouble. Nobody, nobody even remembers that. I want to tell you this. God remembered. God dealt with it. And Reuben suffered the consequences because of his sin and because he never dealt with it. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've got sin in my life. I've got something and it's, it's awful. And if you knew it, you'd be embarrassed. And if you knew it, uh, you would think less of me and all and say, oh, what am I going to do about my sin? Well, I got news for you. The same thing that everybody else does. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, I got sin in my life. My life's over. No, your life's not over. Your life's just getting started because of the mercy and grace of God. And if God could use David after sin, God can use you and God can use me. But we must confess it. It appears that Reuben never dealt with it. It appears that Reuben never had remorse or confession. Maybe this is why Jacob, in the previous chapter, he blessed Ephraim so much because he knew how this meeting was going to go. He knew that Reuben had wasted it and Reuben had forfeited it from Reuben and from his line. We have no record of any judge. There is no record of any prophet that ever came from the tribe of Reuben. There was no prince that ever came from the tribe of Reuben. The exception is Dathan and Abiram. Those two wicked rebels that rose up against Moses and those two uh, rebels that God killed, those are the only descendants of Reuben that were anybody that we have recorded in Scripture. Jacob said, thou shalt not excel. And I want to remind us this morning, if we don't confess our sin, if we don't get things right with God, we will not excel. We will not reach our potential. We will not accomplish what God has for us until we get our sin right. So number one, I want to say as we're looking at Reuben's life, I want to say number one, please don't waste your potential. You have so much potential. God wants to use you. God wants to use you in your marriage. And God wants to use you in your home. And God wants to use our young people. And God wants to use our children. And there's so much potential. There's so many blessings that have yet to be claimed and so many battles that can be won. But don't waste your potential. Reuben came to the end of his father's life and his father said, I'm sorry, but you wasted it. You blew it. Number one, don't waste your potential. I want you to look next, not only at Reuben, but notice verse 5. I want you to see Simeon and Levi. The Bible says in verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brethren. <laughs> they weren't just brothers in, 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 by birth. They were brothers in how they acted and how they stuck together and the things they did together. It says they are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. That's not good. Oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret. Unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. Here's what Jacob is saying. It's like Jacob is thinking about this combination. Did you ever have a friend when you were in elementary or junior high or high school? I hope you had a friend, but did you ever have a friend that was not a good combination when the two of you got together? It was like you could, you could do well and you could, you know, get your work done and do your homework and you could, you know, pay attention in class. But if you were ever sitting next to that person, it was not good. As a matter of fact, if you ever got together with that person, 
I mean, the whole city was in danger. You know what I mean? It's like, that was not a good combo. Well, that was Simeon and Levi. And Jacob said, you guys, <laughs> he, is, he, is, he, he is a dying father speaking to adult boys, and he says, you guys are not allowed to be together. You gotta split up. You can't be together. And here's why. Because when they got together, you know what happened? They couldn't control their anger. They were cruel. They sought revenge. In their self-will, the Bible says, verse number six, they dig down a whole wall. Now, why would you have to dig down the whole wall? Because you were so mad you couldn't control yourself. It says in their uh, anger, they killed a man. Cursed, verse seven, Jacob says, cursed be their anger for it was fierce and their wrath for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and I will scatter them in Israel. And here's what's so amazing about this. Please stay with me. I don't want you to miss this. Simeon had his portion, but did you know Levi never even got an actual area of land? He never got a territory. As a matter of fact, because his line were the priests, God spread them out, just like Jacob predicted. They were scattered. Levi had 48 cities throughout the land of Israel, all spread out. None of them were side by side. They were all spread out. But now here's what's amazing. And I had never seen this until this week. Six of those cities were cities of refuge. Now I knew about the cities of refuge, but I never saw it like this before. Because Simeon and Levi had such tempers, because they were so angry, because they were so violent, God said, we're going to have to separate them. But then God took Levi's cities and he made six of those cities of refuge. Do you know who got to go to the cities of refuge? The people that committed a crime out of anger. The people that committed a crime out of passion, not premeditated, but the people that did something and they said, oh no, what have I done? And then judgment was coming. Then the enforcer was coming. Then the family was coming and saying, we're going to kill you for what you did. And the, uh, the, the person who committed the crime, they could run to the city of refuge and they could find safety and they could find protection until the case was heard. And in some cases, they could find protection until the death of the high priest. They could stay in that city. As long as they stayed in that city, they would be safe. You say, oh, I wish we had a city like that. We do. We got a city where we can run when we're scared and when we're being chased and when we're in trouble and when we don't know what to do and when it seems like the whole world is against us. You say, Pastor, which city is it? Is it Roanoke Rapids? No, it's not Roanoke Rapids. I, it's got to be Weldon. No, it's not Weldon. It's Gaston, no. How about Garysburg, no. How about Littleton, no. Halifax, no. Where is that city of refuge? It's Jesus Christ. He is our refuge. And guess what else he's given us? He's given us a church. He's given us a place where we can come and we can bring our burdens and we can cast our cares upon the Lord. And Levi and Simeon, they could not control their anger. So God said, I'm gonna have to spread you out. But in spreading them out, God said, I'm gonna remember there's some more angry people that are coming. 
I'm going to remember there are some more people like Levi and Simeon, and they're going to need a place where they can find mercy, they can find grace, and they can find protection. Number one, we said don't waste your potential like Reuben. Number two, I want to say control your anger, unlike Simeon and Levi. Did you know when you don't control your spirit, when you don't control your anger, Bible says you're like a city that is broken down without walls. That's dangerous because the enemy can get in and the enemy can attack and you're vulnerable. And the adversary that we have, the devil, when our anger is built up and our walls are down, he has easy access to get in and destroy our lives because we do not control our anger and control our spirit. Number one, don't waste your potential. Number two, control your anger. I want you to see the next lesson. It's from Judah. It's found in verse number eight. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. His name, the name Judah literally means to praise God. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Let, let's stop right there, verse eight, and let's, let's, let's dissect this. First of all, Judah, his name means praise. And can I tell you, you and I, we were created for a purpose, and that purpose is to praise God. That's why, that's why we're here. That's why we're on planet Earth. Now, we, we, we talk about a lot of things, and we think about a lot of things, and we read about a lot of things, but you know, our lives ought to bring praise to God. So let's talk about it for a minute. Look back, if you would, on the last seven days. Let's take the last week. How many times this last seven days did you speak words of praise? Now, you've done it here at church. That's a good reason to come to church, right? But what about yesterday? What about Saturday? Did you praise God yesterday at all? I hope you did. I hope it's like, oh, more times than I can count. What about Friday? What about Thursday? What about Wednesday? What about Tuesday, Monday? What about, what about every day of this last week? Did you praise God in your words? I hope you take time during the week and during the day to say, thank you, Lord, you are so amazing. God, thank you for your miraculous work in this situation. God, I want to praise you for your wisdom. God, I want to thank you for your mercy. I hope we praise God. We're supposed to with our mouth, but not only with our mouth, but did you know we're supposed to praise God with our life? There should have been things you did this week. There should have been things that I did this week that people saw and they said, wow, that is a life that is bringing praise to God. You know, God was praised this morning by you getting up, getting ready, and coming to church. God was praised this morning by you coming and, and singing in a choir, or you standing and singing and worshiping God. God was praised this morning by you getting up and coming to work in a nursery or to work in a sound booth or uh, to teach a class. God was praised in that, but we ought to be doing things like that all the time. If you have to scratch your head and say, uh, let's see here, what month is this? August? Uh, I don't know if I did anything in July, maybe uh, I think May, I think I did something back in May to praise God. Friend, that's, that's not good. We ought to be praising God every day. Judah's name means to praise, and we're to praise God. But then Judah also, his hand shall be in the neck of his enemies. That, that speaks of victory. Judah was the one who led the children of Israel through the wilderness. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 14 tells us about that. Judges chapter 1, it was Judah who led in the conquest of Canaan after the death of Joshua. 
Judah experienced victory. Judah saw God do great things as he led the way. But notice what else it says in verse 8. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Now, again, so this is Jacob. He's got all of his sons together. And he says, Judah, my children here, their children, they're going to bow down to you and your family. Now, this is prophetic. This hadn't happened yet. But Judah, from Judah, there would come a man by the name of David who would be the king of Israel. And from Judah, there would come David and Solomon, and the kingdom was divided after Solomon, but still there were a line of kings from Judah. And every time that the nations and tribes would gather and they would come and they would bow down before that king, this prophecy was being fulfilled. They were bowing down to Judah and his family because he was the king. Well, then there was the Babylonian captivity. And I'm sure people thought, oh, that messed up God's plan. No, not at all. Because they came back from captivity and there was a governor, not a king. There was a governor. His name was Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, would you like to guess which tribe Zerubbabel was from? Judah. Isn't that amazing? God didn't forget about it while there was 70 years of captivity. And then you get to the time of Christ. And during the time of Christ, Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire. But there was a body, a governing body at the time. And that governing body was called the Sanhedrin. And the descendants of Judah were the people that made up that Sanhedrin council, that Sanhedrin court. It's amazing how all of that was fulfilled in the line of Judah. But hang on, there's a better one. From the line of Judah, there would come a king. His name was King Jesus. And King Jesus, someday, not just the tribes of Israel, not just the people of one country, but someday every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And from the line of Judah, there would come a king, the king of kings and Lord of lords and the, the nations and the, the tri every tribe and every language and every kindred and every tongue will worship the king of kings. All from the line of Judah. Notice verse number 10, the scepter. The, 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 the scepter that, that the king held, that instrument of authority, that scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Say, who's Shiloh? Shiloh is another name for the Messiah. The name Shiloh means peaceful one. I'll say this, and I, I, believe, I believe we must we must vote in November. We must vote, and I don't, think it's, I don't think it's very difficult to see who and which people and different uh, races you need to vote for. I don't think that's difficult at all, but I think you need to vote. But I'll say this, there is not world peace or national peace in a party. The Republican Party is not going to bring national peace. The Democratic Party is not going to bring national peace. The Independent Party is not going to bring national peace. The Communist Party, the Socialist Party, the Marxist Party, and all that nonsense, that's not going to bring world peace. There's no king, there's no ruler, 
There's no dictator that will ever bring world peace. The Antichrist will try, and he'll succeed for a little while, it'll seem, but there's only one person that can bring true peace. His name is Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. And the prophecy is given, verse 10, that when Shiloh comes unto him, shall the gathering of the people be. All the nations of the world will come, and they will bow down, and they will worship him. My third point I want to give you, and this is as far as we got in the early service, as far as we'll get today. But number three, I want to say that our lives ought to bring praise to God. That's what Judah's name means. It means praise. And our lives ought to bring praise to God. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.